Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, not before time, we're going to dive into the big themes that have rocked B2B marketing in the past year and what wonders await in 2022. There's plenty, by the way. Tech hardware companies, for instance, facing critical global supply issues, have rapidly moved from lead generation to brand building campaigns this year, just to stay visible and mentally available, as the marketing science argues. This development, as we've covered previously, but hardly enough at MI3, was already underway among more progressive B2B marketers who, prior to that COVID thing, were already trying to wean themselves off a decades-long focus on lead generation for sales teams as the primary B2B marketing activity. A great example of that is a clever brand campaign launched last month by DocuSign after the company acknowledged it was too weighted to lead generation efforts. CMO Andrea Dixon is on the mics today to talk about her strategic shift. Joining Andrea is Zenith Media CEO Nikki Scriven, who, as a business leader, is mostly underwhelmed by the B2B marketing efforts she gets daily trying to get her attention. Nikki also says there's been a tad too much lazy B2B marketing this year and warns that webinar overload is close to turning business leaders and decision makers off altogether. Our other panellist is LinkedIn's Director of Marketing Solutions, Prue Cox, who obviously has got broad visibility on much of the B2B market. Prue has seen these trends we've mentioned at the front line, but also notes an interesting twist in the small and medium business sector. They are moving rapidly, perhaps faster than their larger business counterparts post-COVID, which is spinning off new opportunities for big enterprises looking for growth if they can adapt to a very different environment. So enough from me. Let's hear from let's hear from some people who know the real stuff. Welcome to you all. And Andrea, let's start with you. Uh, as we mentioned, you launched a brand campaign in October using business influencers. Um, I think we'll get to the details shortly. But first, why a brand-led campaign? What has DocuSign been doing and focused? up until now in its marketing efforts. And welcome, Andrea. Good to have you. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Um, so we realised that we needed to focus more at the top of the funnel and spend a little less focus on the, the middle and bottom of the funnel. So I guess we needed to, um, there's a huge total addressable market that we needed to capture and educate just on who we are to make them aware of DocuSign. And I guess to help people realise that, um, you know, there's problems that they need to overcome and that we needed to pivot from being seen as not just a business-to-business tech company but business to everyone. Uh, so saw an awareness campaign as a great opportunity to do that. Um, our biggest competitor is pen and paper. So right. there's a huge market out there and it's we wanted to make uh, people aware of the friction associated with paper-based processes, uh, hence, hence the launch of this campaign. Just talk to me though. Um, until you did this brand campaign, uh, what has th- this this whole you know really interesting conversation about B two B moving from lead generation or spreading its wings, if you like, spreading the load, the mix between brand and and uh, demand generation? When did the thinking start to shift for you at, at DocuSign about the need for that and why? Probably twelve months ago, we saw really strong demand. I guess when the pandemic set in, 
people recognised or businesses recognised the need to pivot to digital processes. And so demand was strong and continues to be strong. So it was a great opportunity for us to to move beyond just middle to bottom of the funnel demand campaigns and to try something new. To, it was a great opportunity to test something that we hadn't done previously, uh, to move more of our spend to the top of the funnel and to also do something more creative. Uh, we saw a lot of Zoom fatigue with, um, with lockdown, not being able to do in-person events. Uh, there was greater consumption of content, but we also needed content to cut through and to be engaging and using influencers was a great opportunity to tell real stories uh, that get good engagement with the audience and and to help stand out from from you know the many other Zoom uh, Zoom events and webinars that we saw in market. So we'll get to what that campaign uh, is in a sec. But was there much debate, furious debate, or was there solidarity in t- inside the company in, in terms of moving to a brand led campaign? How were the sales teams feeling about the, the sort of the prospect of perhaps not having what they've been used to for a long time? How did the internal conversation go? Uh, surprisingly well. There was a great appetite for testing this and to do something differently. Uh, as I said, it was a great uh, great timing because we saw really strong demand. So it was a perfect opportunity to test something and to move beyond just bottom of the final campaigns. So I think having influencers involved and high profile business influencers from Australia helped to get the sales team excited by this. Uh, and they've, I guess, the results have have been encouraging and helped to bring them on board uh, to show great website traffic and, and demand for DocuSign. Well, it's a it's a long tease to get to the campaign, but before we get there again, how are you measuring it? That's the interesting bit. So, like, what what are you doing to go? Okay, this brand stuff may work or it might not. What what's the what are the signals you're using? Uh, so, web visits is really our best indicator of organic demand in a search lift in DocuSign. Uh, an electronic signature, uh, but primarily website visits. Okay, and that's increasing upwards post the campaign launching because, as you say, COVID's been good for DocuSign, right? Yes, absolutely. We've seen since launching launching the campaign, we've seen a, a steep um, incline in website traffic, which is really encouraging. So tell us about the campaign, though. It's an interesting one, right? You've got some, you've got some high-profile uh, influencers, business people. Um, tell us who they are and, and, and some of the stories because there's some, there's some great stories in this campaign. Absolutely. So we wanted to work with some well-recognised business influencers in Australia. So, uh, But they also had to have really genuine great stories about friction-based um, agreement processes. So uh, we've partnered with Janine Ellis, the founder of Boost Juice, uh, she has a great story around when she launched Boost Juice internationally, flew in her international business partners, but the contract wasn't signed in the right place. So it almost um, went belly up and didn't work out. But uh, the vid- video ends with her saying, you know, next time DocuSign. Uh, the other influencer that we've partnered with is Emma Isaacs, the founder of Business Chicks. Uh, she was finalising a publishing deal. Uh, she'd printed the contract. Her Young children drew smiley faces and rainbows on the agreement. She went to reprint it and, you know, as we've all experienced, the printer failed. Print didn't work, yep. She had There's to a campaign on that one too. To the post office and, and sent back, so she sent it as it was. <laughs> uh, an embarrassing moment for her, she won't forget. And the final influencer we're working with is Jules Lund, uh, so well-known TV presenter. He was about to sign his contract with Channel 9 
and went to print it in the Qantas lounge, matched up the printer model, hit print, nothing came out. He tried it again, nothing came out. After several attempts, he tried again and it said the printer was out of paper and he looked and he thought, no, it's not. He scrolled across and he realised he'd printed that agreement in every uh, Qantas lounge of every capital city in Australia. With all his numbers to everyone, anyone could have seen it. Yeah, highly confidential information around his contract and, as he calls it, diva demand. So, uh, yeah, friction-filled uh, agreement processes and real stories from those influences. So, yeah, and good and good relatable stories, right? And so those, those that now, where have you launched that? That's gone through social. Is that how how it's worked? Absolutely. Yes, we've launched on cross uh, social media. Uh, LinkedIn, we've promoted on YouTube, um, our social campaigns and uh, organically as well through the influencers and their their networks. So great engagement. How long does it run for, Andrea? It's a three-month campaign that we launched in late October. Okay, righto. Prue, Andrea's moves around B2B brand building is sort of part of a much broader trend that you're seeing. You've seen that right across, you know, the LinkedIn um, sort of uh, platform and what sort of a lot of the, the sort of business companies are doing there. Um, what's going on there from your perspective on that brand and, and um, demand generation? Uh, and you were the one that raised up, um, raised this really interesting observation about supply, supply chain issues for hardware companies and then move across to brand. So uh, I guess you're, you're sort of in, in, uh, in solidarity with, with uh, Andrea on the brand lead gen, but what are you seeing there, Prue? And welcome. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And uh, we've been talking about this topic for a while. It, it's definitely, you know, true to our heart at, at LinkedIn and how we can actually get B2B marketers to pivot it from their, you know, ongoing addiction with that, that, uh, lead gen activity. But I think what we're starting to see is that B2B marketers have realized they've overinvested in lead gen tactics. So the lead gen or sales activation, it's really delivering short term growth and it increases sales right now, but the results you know, decay quickly and the effectiveness doesn't increase over time. So your sales activation doesn't create demand, it just helps capture it at the moment. And that's been really important for businesses over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. But I think what's really interesting, if you're only capturing demand that there at the moment, you're only talking to those customers who are in market. And our experts at Ehrenberg Bass Institute estimate that only 5 to 10% of customers are in market at any time. So if you're only doing lead gen to them, you're actually missing out on the 80, you know, 90% of customers who are going to be in market for you six weeks, six months, a year down the track. And I think marketers are starting to realise that they need to build long-term demand um, amongst those out-of-market customers as well as the in-demand. I think what we're seeing within the hardware um, companies is really interesting. You know, as we see chip shortages, we're seeing supply chain issues. You know, this category has been very heavily focused on that lead gen, and now they're having to pivot tactics um, to focus away from the, the short demand to really building long-term growth and ensuring that their brands have longevity as they you know, go through some of these incredible shortages that we've never seen before. So the the receptivity to this this sort of shift is it landing broadly with B two B market is this whole notion true or is there still sort of uh, some resistance or some education and awareness need to go on uh, around this area? I think definitely a lot of marketers have started to to realise that you know the fifty fifty split 
you know, 50% long-term brand and 50% short-term activation is the ultimate place. But there's a lot who are still measuring on a cost per lead. So if you're measuring and your metric is cost per lead, then the lead gen um, tactics will continue to gobble up the share of that budget. So we really need to start to shift some of those metrics. But I think what we're seeing through the pandemic is successful marketers have harvested the short-term demand from those in-market customers while building long-term demand for those out-of-market customers. And we're definitely seeing this swing away from you know, heavily focused on that lower funnel. And just to be clear, when you talk about that, you know, harvesting that short-term demand, that's the classic sort of digital performance picking up on the signals of people that are in market now right so it's just it's it's whether it be social whether whatever whatever it is it's literally those digital signals that they've been looking for that's where the focus has been right absolutely it's the sales activation and i think it's interesting because the role of sales tenders has changed a lot you know, as we've gone through, you know, the pandemic over the last 18 months as well. And, and so marketing's role in that real heavy sales activation, you know, has actually become even more important. So, you know, while there has been economic pressures, harvesting that short-term demand of those customers who are ready to buy now has really been a, you know, a very strong tactic, but it's not doing anything to really grow long-term um, brand, which is ultimately what is going to help with, you know, future cash flows, pricing power, um, you know, talent acquisition and competitive pressures. You're only going to be able to do that through building a, a, a healthy brand long term. Andrea, I know I asked you this before, but on that sales team stuff um, with your sales team, uh, did, did, did they expect a decline in that, in that short-term sort of interest uh, from, um, you know, lead generation or were they okay with the fact that they, they could play the, play the mid to long? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> they, they're still expecting <laughs> strong demand. I guess, you know, this is seen as a, as a bonus. It's really, we need that um, air cover, if you like, to be um, really promoting and growing the appetite for DocuSign at the same time as, as channeling more of that demand through the funnel. Um, so that unknown increase in web, web traffic that you speak of, is that leading to um, sort of inquiry that says, okay, we want to know something now. We want to. Know we're not ready to buy yet, or we're not ready. But it gives your sales team something. Is there inquiries, and what is the what is the how do you how do you convert? Yeah, that's the the, the million dollar question, and the challenge we face is connecting those dots between, I guess, what we're seeing at the very top of the funnel with that website engagement, connecting the dots, so that we can show performance and how that is converting down the funnel. Um, I guess you know we're early days, so we're hoping to be mm. able to prove the success of this campaign to. To, in, to further invest in doing more awareness campaigns like this. The other thing that you talk about, Prue, is uh, brand playing a role yeah, in another area, sort of talent ac- uh, attraction and retention. Um, that's moving increasingly from HR to, to marketing as well. Uh, unpack, unpack that a bit. What are you seeing there in terms of brand and talent? Why is that important or why is that rising? Yeah, we're calling it the great reshuffle. Others are calling it the great resignation. And I think you know, we're all just facing this war on talent at the moment. So people are reassessing how, where and why they work. Um, The Work Trend Index shows that 41% of employees are considering leaving their current employer in the next year. Now, that's a global stat, but even what we're seeing is just, you know, the competitiveness within the Australian market that, you know, hiring has increased 21% um, in comparison to pre-COVID 
um, conditions. So it's definitely very competitive. And I think you know, the strength of your employee brand will really determine whether you're going to win or lose in today's talent transition. So that is now a topic that is not just the domain of the HR director, but absolutely you know, a, focus of, a focus of the CMO, understanding of where their brand is, is positioned. So as B2B marketers are more focused on the sort of short-term sales, they've had to pivot um, to actually focus on this brand building to actually help to attract and retain talent. And we're seeing just even some of the stats on our own platform that you know, candidates' um, engagement increases sort of you know, 2x when they're exposed to sort of corporate comms as well as just talent messages as well. So it's really an important piece to start to, you know, for candidates to start to understand what does your brand stand for and, and why do I want to go and work there? Uh, are you seeing, is there any examples of, of, of where uh, sort of a brand campaign has been more skewed to sort of talent acquisition uh, and retention or is it just sort of more part of a broader play, Pro? I think what we're seeing is corporate comms and sort of more traditional marketing brand come together right. and actually work you know, increasingly together. And I think you're seeing that you know, across the board. So we've previously, um, you know, the HR role might have been just, you know, low touch sort of, you know, talent brand um, campaigns and, and sort of more job ads. We're really increasingly seeing that being planned more holistically. Um, and it, it is really top of mind to all executives because, you know, time out of seat for talent or losing talent is very costly. Mm. Um, I might just switch to, to to Nikki on that. Has you got any thoughts on the on the on the brand and talent stuff? Because in your sector, Nikki, there is an absolute war going on. Right, there's a lot of demand, and you know, historically or well, pre-COVID, uh, media agencies would pull a lot from overseas. Um, does that sort of make sense to you? Yeah, look, I, I totally agree with everything that Pre is saying. And I think the role of brand, be it from a talent acquisition or even a B2B um, sort of, you know, business acquisition space is is really relevant. And so the more you drive awareness and interest and consideration in your brand, the more likelihood people are going to actually respond. So, um, yeah, it's not just about the job ads. It's about what else you're doing that tells a story about who you are and, and you know, what it's like to work with you and, and what are the benefits for me if if I um, decide to be an employee of your brand. And I think, you know, that works across certainly our industry, but every organisation. And I think even um, if we pull that back from a, a, a B2B perspective, you know, it's no longer this kind of spray and pray that works. We need to understand something about a brand before we receive a communication from them. Otherwise, it goes straight into the bin or even worse, into the spam folder and you're never to be seen again. So I think there's a there's got to be a real shift from what we've seen in 2021 as B2B marketers move into 2022 to do a bit more research and a bit less lazy marketing and stop spraying these emails for, to a list that they've bought and and I can tell you I would probably get at least 20 a day and I just delete every single one of them. And then if they respond again and say, I haven't heard back from you, they go straight into the spam folder. Because what it tells me is you know nothing about my business, you know nothing about who I am, and you know nothing about my needs. And in a day and age where there is so much data available on people, there's a real opportunity for B2B organisations to stop being lazy and actually start prospecting better. And I 
think that's the art of B2B marketing in 2022. It's actually spending a bit more time doing some research, understanding the organisation, understanding their brand proposition, what are their strategic objectives, who are the decision makers, and actually target much more holistically and demonstrate your knowledge of that organisation. You do those things and you're likely to get a response from me. You don't and you're in my spam folder. Well, you better tell us what's worked for you, Nikki. What sort of things get your attention and interest uh, in terms of a, in a B2B context? Well, if they've, I mean, there's plenty of things published, particularly in the agency world. So it's not too hard to find out what my strategic objectives are based on some, you know, PR releases of late. And I actually had one today that, and mostly I delete them. And I actually sent it to my chief digital and data officer and said, hey, have a look, tell me what you think. And it was purely because they'd actually done their research. This person had seen what I was talking about, tailored his communication. And I went, oh, actually, maybe you have got something. We've got a strategic project in this space. You've obviously picked something up that we're doing in automation and your message was tailored and relevant. So actually, whilst I'm not going to respond to you directly, I'll send it to the right person and and maybe there'll be a conversation. But otherwise, I just delete it. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, I think we're probably all in the same boat on that. But Prue, can I ask, how, how do you start to do what Nikki's talking about, say, on via LinkedIn, which is obviously a, a clear platform to use? How do you do that at scale? How do you do that with, with, with efficiency, but also, you know, what Nikki's talking about, a little bit more personalised? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely, we have programs where you can look at account-based marketing and you can have your different groups of, um, of customers or accounts that you're, you're targeting and, and start to sort of personalise and understand you know, how to connect with them in different ways. But I think that is also very much at that sort of activation. I'm assuming now, Nikki, that you're in the market and you want to engage with me straight away on this. And I think this is the big message that we're talking a lot about is you've got to start to use more of your your emotional creative, which is unusual for B2B marketers. They like very rational, product-focused um, communications to actually start to build a relationship with consumers before they're actually ready for your product, your service, or in market for it. And I think by starting to build that, that more of that, you know, emotional connection at a, at a brand level than when you're, they are in market and you are doing a very sort of tactical, you know, personalised message. There is a relationship and you, and you start to be more in the consideration set. Sorry, i just jump in on that. I think um, it's relationship or relevance. And I think it's the relevance piece that's so critical in effective branding. You know, if you've done your work as a CMO or as a brand manager, you will understand the attributes that are important around that brand to your target audience. And then you pull that through in your messaging. You do that effectively and you drive relevance. And that's the key here. It's that pull. It's a push-pull relationship. You know, you've got to pull that interest through relevance first before you start targeting and expecting a response. But yeah, spot on. I agree with you, Prue. Andrea, you're obviously sort of outbound for DocuSign and marketing, but you're also a marketing leader. So what's landed, through, what's got your attention or what got some cut through, as they say in the, in the, in the, in, in the old terminology, but has there any has anything landed from you in a B two B context that said yeah I'm I've you got me yeah they, they are few and far between I have to admit I think it's um, those that do get cut through are definitely the ones that are more 
um, personalised, but also authentic and purposeful. Like there's a clear message that cuts through and it is relevant to, I guess, where I'm at in, in my decision-making process. I think that's key is starting with, you know, what is the purpose of this comms rather than, you know, to Nikki's point, batch and blast. Um, what are we trying to achieve beyond just lead generation? Uh, as marketers, I think it's important to to have that checklist each time we send comms, you know, what are we trying to achieve here? What is the message? How authentic and relatable is this, I think, is what we need to hold ourselves accountable to. It's hard though, Nikki, right, because everything is moving to uh, faster, more volume, more efficiency. How do you, how do you step back and, and, you know, if you like it, if you like to call it craft, something that's more personalised um, because they're trying to do, it's been trying to done via technology, but maybe that's not enough or is it? It's just not being done the right way, do you think? Well, I think it starts with really understanding, like any marketing, is understanding your consumer and understanding what the needs are. And then you can craft a message that's going to be relevant to, to target those needs. But I think the other part of it is actually how you're measuring performance. So if you're measuring on lead generation, then of course you're going to do a spray and pray approach because you're actually going, well, how many people can I reach? It's, you know, it's lead gen and you, you know, the more you push out, hopefully you hope some stick and and then you get a higher metric. Whereas if you're measuring on driving brand attributes and driving consideration and driving engagement, then it's a completely different approach, which leads much more into your brand comms, which will drive greater relevance and ultimately greater effectiveness. Got it. So let me get to the um, the point that you uh, we talked about earlier, uh, Nikki, around webinar overload. So um, you're clearly a fan or maybe not so much in the volume of it. What's going on there? And, and you know, that broader market lament about it. Um, is, is there a time? Is it time over or reduce the numbers or what's the solution? What's the problem first? And what's the solution? Well, look, I think when COVID first hit, you know, we were able to interact and engage with webinars and that was great. And we were looking for content to continue our learning and our engagement um, with, with different partners. I think it's gone to complete and utter overload now to the point where, especially if you live in Melbourne, as I do, <laughs> the thought of doing another Zoom call or a, another webinar is enough to make you want to stick needles in your eyeballs. You know, like it's just, it, it's that bad now. So I think what you're going to see is, you know, a combination in the future. I think in 2022, we're actually going to want that networking opportunity and and to interact with humans a lot more. So you'll see the physical event being more important. And if organisations can stop the webinar overload and actually get the mix right, then I think we'll still see some engagement there. I think the other piece that's really critical to understand, and again, as a business owner, I'm really nervous about providing any of my information because I'm so concerned that it's going to get sold and I'm going to get bombarded with another whole heap of random phone calls and emails that clog up my inbox. And as a a business leader and, you know, very busy in my day-to-day, it's overwhelming the amount of emails you get and you have to wade through to actually find the important stuff. So it's the whole data privacy piece that's really fundamental here. Same with downloading white papers. You've got to sign your life away from a privacy point of view. So why would I engage with that? So I think organisations have got to find another way and provide confidence to business leaders that their data is going to be treated with respect and not on sold to drive profitability. Prue, is is Nikki reflecting a broader uh, sentiment there or is she just special? No, I don't think she's just special. I think we've all had the overload and I think she's absolutely spot on with 
what we're going to see is this sort of continue to more of a hybrid sort of model. So there's not one or the other, but you know, it's not all just one-way webinar. And I think that a lot of um, accounts that we're sort of seeing are going to more sort of intimate type events so that they're more engaging, plus the scale where they are going to be you know, in real life. Then people also, though, want the option to watch the recording. So I think it's about options and I think it's about different types of touch points um, that you know, are going to get cut through. It's not just about I'm going to push something out in a webinar and hope that as many people as, as possible you know, will see that. I think that on the on the, the privacy thing, I think that's something that is absolutely you know, important to people. And I think you know, what we're seeing is, is more B2B marketers come and, and talk and work with LinkedIn because of the first party data that we have and you know the fact that we are very much members first and how we approach that, that we, we do have the trust of our members and then that trust which our customers can actually leverage it as well in, in the right type of environment rather than you know, purchasing you know, different lists, et cetera, and, and not understanding where some of that data has come from. So I think that is going to become more and more important and, and working with trusted platforms very much around sort of more of that first-party data that you can leverage. Well, you know, Nikki's got a point for, even for me. I, like I'm getting phone calls now that are sort of with message. I don't answer when I don't know the number, but it's everything from I'm, uh, you know, under surveillance from Border Force for, you know, breaching um, country immigration rules, and I'm pretty sure I've been here a while. There's all that you go, where did that, who, how did that happen? Who got that? How did that number get? How did my mobile, of all things, email I kind of get? So there's some stuff going on there. Um, Prue, we, we, I wanted to touch on um, the third big trend you were saying, which we kind of overlooked uh, earlier, which is what was going on with the um, with uh, SMB, smaller, smaller medium-sized businesses, and, and what was happening there and the opportunity for larger enterprises if they can get their, their act together. But give us your, you've got a sort of an interesting perspective on that. Um, give it to us. Yeah, I think it's. I think the SMB sector is, you know, emerging from, um, you know, the last eighteen months, sort of, you know, in a really, you know, interesting and more powerful position than, than ever before. We're seeing it a lot, you know, in the press that they're fueling the Australian economic growth. They represent fifty nine percent of the GDP and employs of seven point six million um, people in Australia. So they were very heavily impacted um, during the pandemic, but they're pivoting very much for, for business growth. And what we're seeing is they're accelerating digital transformation and will be investing in new technology over the next twelve months at you know, rates that we've never seen before. They're looking for financial services partners who will really help support growth strategies. So while there has been some winners and losers, they're pivoting into a very strong position. And I think for B2B marketers, what they're starting to look at the SMB sector as a new opportunity and start to focus you know, very differently to how they've approached enterprise customers. What's really interesting about SMBs is they can move faster. Their sales cycles are, are three months versus an enterprise customer that's sort of more six to six to 12 months. So definitely opening an opportunity to, to really start to create a, a, a new sector that is, is emerging from the pandemic very strongly. Is that on the, you know, the larger enterprises radar? Are they, are they seeing that yet or is it still feeding up through the funnel somewhere? No, we're definitely seeing them sit up and, and, and take interest and, and really trying to understand 
what SMBs are looking for that's different to how they've traditionally talked to their enterprise um, customers. You know, they're looking for partners who can help you know, drive their strategy. They're looking for partners who can help to support and really understand that, you know, for them, they don't have the ecosystems of, of the big enterprise. So product accessibility, training, you know, ongoing post-sale support is really, really important because they don't have their own internal, you know, infrastructure to support that. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge. Um, Andrew, I'd imagine SMBs are a good a good growth opportunity for, for DocuSign, right? Um, is that, would that be reasonable? And what, what do they present, you know, in relation to enterprise uh, for, you know, your growth prospects? Yeah, absolutely. SMBs really are the foundation of our business. It's where, I guess, DocuSign established originally, and we've I guess, grown up and grown into the enterprise space. Um, But we're seeing SMBs really be more agile, you know, with the pandemic, we've seen a huge shift and just that rapid transformation and adoption of technology and and new ways of working. And I think it's really shifted from looking up to, you know, the enterprise businesses, how to learn and and take lessons from on digital transformation to really those roles reversing. And we are seeing uh, a lot more agility um, and, yeah, some exciting changes, I think, in the SMB space. Big enterprises, my my, my experience is though, um, you know, it's, it, it tends to, they tend to, and LinkedIn's, you know, you'll have a view on this, Prue, a lot of it's self-service uh, and, and you know, the access to sort of that, that kind of more tailored or access to training, as you say, and, and different ways to access products. Can they do it? Can big enterprise do that when they're geared so, so differently? I think that you know it ties a lot back into uh, what Nikki was talking about before, and just sort of how we're focusing on different types of touch points to actually engage with customers. So, whereas you know big enterprise, it's always been a lot more of that face to face, which they can only really scale at that that larger. Um, customer now, as they're saying, you're know, moving to more of hybrid touch points and the ability to do that, then they're able to scale their servicing into SMBs and really understand you know, how to actually support them in a, in a different way. Hey, so we're I'm going to ask each of you just your your final thoughts for next year and some watchouts. Um, Nikki, I might start with you in terms of just what you what your expectations are in the media world for next year and what you think are sort of the key themes, whether it be uh, for B two B or B two C. But just um, for, you know some key thoughts for next year. Booming ad market at the moment. Um, you know, big question is how long is it uh, how long does it go for certainly the first half the sense is it'll be there and it'll be strong um, but just give us a sense really on, on on you know media and your business and your clients for, for next year yeah look I think we're definitely seeing a higher weightage to brand activity um, I think the days of everyone being on sale and eroding profit margins you know at the back of COVID that's coming to an end because organizations can't actually sustain um, that sort of sales activity and margin decline so I think what we will see is a a better correction of brand activity to sales activity. And I think that plays equally from a B2B um, to a B2C point of view. I think the piece that we probably haven't touched on is content. Content is critical in attraction. And I, you know, I touched on it before. It's not about just a push message. Any effective marketing communications is a two-way conversation and driving relevance. And so your content strategy is really critical. And 
you know, I think we're, you know, we've got Zoom fatigue and email spam fatigue and advertising fatigue generally as consumers. So what's the pull strategy? How are we actually intriguing you and allowing you to discover our product, create a bit of relevance, product or service, I might add, um, create some relevance and then engage you because we know a bit more about you. And I think, you know, if we're focused on our content and where that sits, particularly digitally, there's a hell of a lot of data and insights that we can glean from that. And we need to use Use that really carefully and strategically so that we get a better result and a better uh, response rate. Good points. Um, Andrea, your, your thoughts for next year just broadly well, for your business, but more broadly for B2B marketing as well. You got any, any watch outs or expectations for next year? Uh, something I hope for next year is that we become more proactive. I think for the last 18 months, we've been so reactive as marketers, you know, pivoting and creating webinars and virtual content, it's been a huge shift and it feels as though we haven't been able to keep our head above water just trying to react to, you know, the global pandemic. So I'm hoping that next year brings uh, some, some breathing space and that we can think more strategically about our marketing programs. We can go back to investing more in thought leadership content um, that is, you know, more value driven um, and I think richer than just being, you know, trying to keep up and, and being so reactive. Here, here to that. Um, Prue, your final thoughts for, for next year. What are your expectations or what do you think is going to happen? And just on that, are you seeing, um, by the way, on the on the booming ad market, I'm assuming you're seeing that on in, in your business? I mean, it's been a phenomenal couple of, of years for us with our business and I think what has been really interesting within the B2B space is this shift away from your sales and just driving um, the demand into a broader sort of B2B marketing. And I think building on sort of what Nikki was saying around brand and around content, I, I think that we're going to start to see a lot more creativity coming in mm. to the B2B space. I think, you know, emotional content, you know, using some humour. I think the point that Nikki made earlier, let's not gate everything so that you have to actually fill, fill in a lead gen form. Let's actually just look at the content that we want to engage your know, consumers with. And I think that that's where you're going to see people getting a lot smarter. I think we're also just going to take all the good things from the last two years and actually you know, leave behind the bad, but take the good. We understand hybrid ways of communication and we know how to do that really well. And I don't think that's going to go away. We're going to return to face to face, but we still have a real role for you know, the digital connection, for the webinars, for you know, all of those type of um, activations as well. And I think it's we've learned a lot and we're going to take all the good things and uh, let go of some of the bad. Yeah, great points again. And, and uh, for the record, I do try to be funny now and again. It never works, but at least it's the intent is there. Hey, um, Andrea Dixon, Prue Cox, Nikki Scriven, great conversation. Um, stay safe and gosh, are we going to get, we're getting close to Christmas. So um, hang in there and uh, thanks for joining. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.